Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week of Rotating Reels. I'm one of your hosts, Hank Showalter, and joining me today are the other two co-hosts, Keegan Tran and Taylor May. Uh, this week, we're going to be reviewing Saint Maud, which was a very recent release. I think it just became available on VOD uh, yesterday, um, and it's being distributed by A24. So, uh, as with most weeks, we're going to lead in with what we've been watching. But right before that, uh, Keegan has a little announcement he would like to make. Perfect. Thanks, Hank. So, just a little bit of a reiteration about the general gist of the podcast and the way that this will move. So, we're called Rotating Reels, and that plays out in our schedules. So, we rotate weekly between a new major release and then rotating the next week to a movie picked by one of the three co-hosts. We rotate between which co-host chooses, with the pattern being myself, Taylor, and then Hank. So the full six-week repeating schedule will be new release, Keegan movie, new release, Taylor movie, new release, Hank movie. We are right at that new release, right between Taylor and Hank picks. The hosts are supposed to pick a movie that the other hosts haven't seen either ever or in a very long time and will guide the discussion. Uh, it's also a pun based on how the film reel rotates. And also, for those that don't know us, uh, the three of us met as co-workers in a rotational program. So we wanted to kind of spin that in. Ah, spin it in. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And so thanks for that little update, Keegan. Uh, I think that'll be great for anyone that's joining us recently or joined us a while ago and is still watching, but watching confusedly. Uh, with that... <laughs> I'm going to pick one of you guys to lead us in with the what we've been watching. I, I've, yeah, I was going to pick Taylor. Uh, Keegan just gave us a lot of words. So, Taylor, why don't you start us off? <laughs> well, uh, I've been watching more Shit's Creek. had a lot of fun with that. And then I uh, watched some, some movies this week. So I tried Bliss, which is on uh, Amazon. It's a new Owen Wilson, Selma Hayek movie. The trailer is phenomenal. The movie, not so much. Um, so wouldn't wouldn't recommend that the the script was pretty bad it was pretty pretty confusing whatever was going on and nothing seemed to matter so you didn't even really care why it was confusing um i also watched the dig which is uh kind of a oh nice yeah i don't know how i'd describe that sort of it's not really it's not no romance but it's like a historical thing about an archaeologist in england uncover some really old stuff um also watched vice um, which is uh, kind of the same as W in that it's like a sort of historical, but also really heavily driven by comedy. Uh, it's about Dick Cheney. Um, so pretty, pretty fun movie. Um, and then also started uh, Afterlife, which is a, uh, a new series that Ricky Gervais is doing on Netflix. Um, it's supposed to be kind of some macabre, dark humor, more dark than humor so far, um, but pretty good. Yeah, so that's what... Oh, and also, it's snowing right now in Seattle, so after this, uh, after we're done recording, I'm going to cuddle up with my dog and watch Balto, because I don't think she's ever seen it, so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wait, what did you think of The Dig? I've seen a lot about it. I feel like Carrie Mulligan's on fire right now, right? She just did Promising Young Woman, and now Yeah, yeah, no, she did great. I mean, all, all the acting was great. Um, I wanted a little bit more uh, of the historical mm. element. I thought, like, you know, it's based on a true story, so... The, the history of what they were uncovering um, was pretty cool and it didn't get much time. I mean, we're just told, you know, Vikings, Anglo-Saxon, whatever. We don't get a lot of, you know, sure. explanation of it. So otherwise, no, it was it was good. Is that is that the one about the uh, the dig at uh, Sutton Who? Yes. Okay. That's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting watch. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I thought you'd like it, Hank, given all the your interest in English <laughs> history. <laughs> Actually, uh, for viewers that are probably not aware, uh, Taylor texted me a question like several days ago where he was asking me why England has had so so many invasions in its history. And I didn't have like the answer to it, but I thought it was kind of an interesting question. And now I'm like, were you watching The Dig when you texted that? <laughs> no, no, I actually sort of... Should I be watching The Dig? <laughs> I started watching it after, actually, and I was going to text you, but then I was like, wait, let me see how good it is before I uh, before I, I recommend it. So I thought I'd wait till now. Awesome. Well, any other stuff on, on uh, your weekly watch list? Um, oh, actually, we did watch uh, two documentaries, Zero Days and then Agents of Chaos. They're by the same um, director, and their documentaries, Zero Days, is about um, the stunt Stuxnet virus um, that the U.S. created to attack Iran's nuclear program, and then Agents of Chaos is um, sort of trying to pick apart the 2016 election and all the different moving pieces. So they're obviously partisan. Um, it's definitely got like a left wing. Uh, tilt on it but just a lot of really really good journalism into these really complex topics i feel like all those things whether it was stuxnext or whatever else just kind of came up and then then got lost in the news cycle so i kind of lost track with all that so it was nice to go through a couple hours of really really in-depth journalism on it yeah both those sound good um and you know like uh, you say they're partisan but i I don't know if I've ever seen a documentary that I felt was like all that, uh, well, yeah, exactly. all, all that unbiased. Yeah. Everybody's got an agenda, but they interview, you know, huge names in both of those. So you get to see all the partisans and you get to kind of judge for yourself who you think is telling the truth or who best explains everything. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. And that's it. So, um, now let's, uh, switch over to Keegan. Keegan, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Yeah, pretty long list for this week, actually. So for context, I was originally going to be going with my partner to go see some friends and family for Lunar New Year, which was Thursday night and Friday. Uh, but like Taylor said, the Northwest got absolutely dumped on um, with this enormous snowstorm. So that got canceled. But I was super busy at the beginning of the week. I was afraid I wasn't going to get to watch that much stuff and then just completely opened up like Thursday night-ish. So during the beginning of the week, Wanted some comfort, comfort food, wanted to throw some stuff on in the background. So I watched a couple old comedy specials, um, two Hannibal Buress specials, uh, an older one called Comedy Commissado, and then a newer one called Miami Nights. Both super funny. I think if you haven't heard of Hannibal Buress by now, I mean, he's pretty big at this point. He's done plenty of like TV bits. Um, super funny delivery. I think not much else to say. Just, you know, funny guy. Seems to enjoy himself on stage. Uh, I also watched Bo Burnham's What? And I feel like we're probably all... Bo Burnham fans on here. He's not only just like a great comedian, but he's really good musician. He really like blends it well together of having these like musical bits. But the crazy part is just that he's so like he'll sprinkle in these jokes, like these fart jokes and dick jokes, but then he goes on these existential tirades about, you know, how difficult it is to be someone who's in their late twenties and who's a creator and who wants to, you know, have creative independence, but also please these giant audiences and these, you know, cause he sells out tours at this point. So it's, you know, very, very almost borderline terrifying at an existential level, but a great watch, something I definitely recommend as well. All those were on Netflix. Um, and then I watched, similarly to Taylor, I watched a documentary, uh, the new New York Times Framing Britney Spears documentary, um, whether or not her, her, like, her conservatorship that 
is kind of the focal point of the the documentary is is you know deserved or if this is something that's good for her i think putting that aside i think it's pretty clear by the documentary and the people they talk to that her father shouldn't have been the one to control her finances and control her day-to-day life um and on top of that it's just pretty gross to see the the way that pop culture treated our our pop stars you know not that long ago right you see a 10 year old britney singing and someone will say hey do you have a boyfriend you know what about me i could be your boyfriend and you know up into her late teens you have people commenting on her breasts just really really horrible things that you know you, you know maybe not even are that far away you're talking like early 2000s so pretty gross to watch um but it's a pretty well-made documentary i'll go quickly have two more um i watched willie's wonderland which also released yesterday. This is, uh, if anyone's played the video games Five Nights at Freddy's, it's basically like if you're at Chuck E. Cheese and all the animatronics came to life and they were killing kids. Uh, put that in a super low budget IFC Midnight production and somehow cast Nick Cage in the lead role. He does not say a single line in the entire movie. <laughs> I think the only thing he says is he's only credited as saying "uh" while playing pinball. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's just going full out Nick Cage. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more to the movie than just his crazy fun performance, but I think he's at a point now where he has enough of, of that charisma to hold up whatever shitty movie he's in. So fun, not much else around, not much else as far as like bones around the rest of the movie. And then the last thing I'll call out is that not a movie, but I've been checking out Marvel Unlimited, which is a subscription service where uh, 10 bucks a month or 70 bucks a year and you get access to like 80, 90% of all Marvel comics. Uh, Super good UI. And I'll probably be talking about some comic series events that I've been reading in next week's. But uh, for the money, you get a ton of content. And that's been like a huge amount of my time seeing. So I would also recommend checking that out. I think they have a two week free trial period as well. Nice. So nice. Keegan on the Britney Spears one, will that be a hard watch? Yeah. Will that be difficult to watch if you're a Britney Spears fan? Um, I think it's pretty difficult to watch as anyone. I to be honest, I feel like I was not super into the like despite kind of being on the tail end of a nineties kid, I wasn't super into Britney Spears music or like the in sync generation, like early two thousands. Uh, but I mean, regardless, it's it's super tough to watch. Because okay. um, I like one of the big a lot of the big players actually are like the paparazzi that are kind of mournfully coming back to say like hey maybe we pushed her a little bit too far maybe we were a little bit too in her business and like they're showing the recordings they took of her at the times which are you know pretty pretty harrowing how in her business they got really so so they get the actual paparazzi guys that were the ones hounding her and stuff i mean there's still super disillusioned to their part in it too like one of the guys he was like oh, well, Brittany never said, you know, stop recording me. And they're like, what about this video you took where she said, hey, can you leave me alone? And he was like, well, that was like a day-to-day thing, but we never got the feeling that as a whole she wanted to be left alone for the rest of her life. And it's like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Right? Whatever you got to tell yourself, right? Like, I mean, you're getting paid well enough to take these pictures, but, you know, yeah, okay, clearly cool. you're struggling a little bit out. with the... Yeah. So it's pretty good. It's on Hulu. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things about that from a number of people now. So I'm going to have to yeah. check that one out, too. It's pretty short too. I think it's about it's 80 90 minutes as well. Oh nice, nice. That's an that's a for me kind of like a perfect sweet spot length, you know. Just long yeah. enough that you know you're committing to something but not so long that you're committing to an evening. Um, yeah. So with that we'll move on to my what I've been watching and um 
I feel like I'm in a pattern now with having kind of light weeks, but this is another kind of light week for Hank. Uh, this time, not because I was exceptionally busy, but because I decided to pursue some of my other hobbies than just watching stuff Boo. and got sucked down a rabbit hole uh, that is a video game called uh, Yakuza 7 Like a Dragon. Um, but I actually kind of want to talk about that because the game is one of the better cinematic experiences that I think I've, I've, I've seen in like the past couple years. Uh, you know, I, I think that the plot line in Yakuza 7 could easily support an anime or uh, a feature-length film, probably a, a few feature-length films. It's an incredibly long game. But uh, anyway, I, I've been playing it for a while. I decided at the beginning of the week, like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and beat this. And I started playing it, and I played pretty much the same amount of time that I've played since December in the game. You know, I played quite a few hours and didn't get anywhere near the end. It's incredibly long. It keeps on <laughs> twisting and turning. has an incredibly likable cast of characters. Each of them has their own plot line that's very well written. Tons of good voice acting. Um, uh, I, haven't, I actually haven't listened to the English voice acting, but the Japanese voice acting, super evocative. Um and it's it's really just kind of amazing to me how well it's constructed it pulls in all these all these different things it pulls in a lot of drama uh, a lot of uh, like political commentary a lot of comedy and it, it just kind of seamlessly merges all these things so it's not a tv show it's not a movie but it's what i've been spending my time with and uh, even if you're not a big gamer um, I, I really think there's a lot here for you if you're interested in like organized crime stories or if you're interested in uh, just kind of Japanese media in general, be it uh, anime or film or television. Nice. Um, well, totally. Those are they're pretty like they're pretty like uh, like comedic, right? Well, that's actually uh, kind of the thing. They, they have a heavy layer of comedy, but they also mm -hmm. still tell really compelling dramatic stories. Um, without getting into too much, uh, you know, too much spoiler territory because people might want to play the game. There's a whole lot of stuff about uh, like international or not international relations, but relations between different cultures uh, in, you know, Japan, China, Korea. Um, there's stuff about uh, displaced minorities, uh, the, the difficulties that immigration to Japan uh, compose, uh, as well as stuff about uh, how you know, like politics getting messed up with organized crime, how that can affect people in like a day-to-day -day way, depending on where, where you live and kind of what your socioeconomic status is. So even though they're pretty comedic, they tackle a lot of things. And, and I think, uh, you, you know, the, like it's not maybe the, the single best way to tackle every one of those things because it is a video game. It is comedic. People don't really look at these things as, as art that much. Um, but uh, I, I think fairly tactfully, at the very least. And I, I think that uh, the way that these things are presented is really impressive to me. Um, so anyway, nice. that's one thing. Um, besides just playing that, though, I've also been reading a fair bit. And uh, there's this book I've been reading that I just feel compelled to bring up because I think it could be a really cool movie adaptation. But I can't really imagine anyone adapting it. Um, so I'm reading a trilogy of books called Ambergris by Jeff Vandermeer, who is the author of Annihilation, which was uh, actually oh, made nice. into a film a few years ago. And Annihilation is a great book. 
the movie I actually really like too. Completely different from the book. Uh, that's probably a conversation for a different time. But Ambergris is completely different from Annihilation. So, you know, just because Annihilation was filmable doesn't mean Ambergris necessarily would be. Mm. But the third book in the Ambergris series um, kind of takes a... Uh, a weird turn from the first two. The first two are like a collection of short stories set in the titular city of Ambergris. Uh, the second one's a novel that's kind of like this weird surrealist monologue. Um, but the third one takes on a pretty distinct uh, like detective noir style, hmm. um, but still with this really cool like fantastical backdrop. And I like I, I like noir uh, movies. I think that it, just reading it, it sounds like Vandermeer has like a really good grasp of kind of what makes them tick uh, from kind of like a stylistic edge. But then he brings his own kind of like weird, weird horror, fantastical edge to it. Um, and it really made me wish for like, a, first of all, some modern noir type film. And then also some crossover between noir and kind of like the, the weirder edges of fiction. Um Anyway, don't want to get into too much because it's it's easy to spoil it if you if you're planning on reading Ambergris. But uh, anyway, nice. that, that's what I've been doing this week. Not a lot yeah, on the TV. Awesome. Uh, obviously, I, I watch a lot of Bob's Burgers. I watch a lot of uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> actually, uh, that's kind of like a, a guilty habit. Um, but uh, yeah, that's me this week. I guess follow up. Do, you watch BuzzFeed Unsolved? Do you follow up with Watcher? That's like oh yeah the next evolution of that channel yeah really really fun youtube channel yeah yeah actually that's another thing um if you guys aren't watching watcher or if you don't know what it is it's a youtube channel it's got two uh writers from buzzfeed doing or actually they might just be hosts from buzzfeed i don't know if they do writing but they're they're kind of doing a variety of content but on watcher there's a really awesome series of the two of them reading short horror stories that are submitted to them by the audience and throughout the series they're getting drunker and drunker it, it, <laughs> it's 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 like two mini series they're each filmed in one night uh but it's called too many spirits definitely worth checking out you know it, so good it's it's not like uh you know like quality cinema or anything but it's like entertaining <laughs> stories two very likable guys that are uh you know reading stories that vary wildly in quality um while having fun drinks that I, I don't think I would be brave enough to try. So, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, definitely check out the Watcher stuff if you haven't seen it. And I, I, uh, I left it out of my initial listing, but I actually have been watching a bit of Watcher stuff this week, too. It's so good. It's yeah, yeah super highly produced. Nice. I haven't ever heard of that, actually, so I'm going to be checking it out. Oh, did we lose Hank? Uh, so we just had a uh, rotating reels first, which was our connection dropping. Uh, so if, if there's a weird jump in the show that you're listening to right now, just be aware that that's, that's one of the realities of, uh, of our, our quarantine situation right now. But we're back. And getting back to what we were saying about Watcher, um, there is one particular series they do that I think Taylor would like a lot called Puppet History where they present just little moments of history in the form of a puppet show and like a quiz with a guest star that's not one of the two usual watcher hosts. Anyway, thoroughly entertaining, some fun history, fun facts thrown in there. Watched a lot of that this week too. I would love that. I love puppets. Yeah, it, it's fantastic stuff. Um, would recommend that Taylor checks it out as well nice. as any anyone in our audience. So with that, I think that's everything I've been watching this week. 
Um, and we've gotten through all three hosts, so I think it's about time to jump into our actual feature film for this week's episode, St. Maud. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So we, uh, as ever, we're going to start with our non-spoiler section, uh, talk about the film more in general, give our general impressions first off, and then... Uh, once we get to the end of what we can say without spoiling it, we'll spoil the hell out of the movie, have our spoiler review. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, Keegan, why don't you start us off, just give a little bit of introduction, talk about the, the, the film's production background. Oh no, I don't know if I should have been the one to start. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I, I think I read the IMDb last time, but just to reiterate for anyone that didn't listen to the last episode, uh, super short blurb, Mod follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. And uh, as I said last time, this is originally a 2019 film um, that due to kind of the debacle of COVID-19 and how it ruined production schedules had just come out this year. I think, like Hank said, it had just been available yesterday originally. So um, a new release. It's a horror movie made by, or not made by, it's distributed by A24 Studios, which I feel very strongly about. I think probably everyone on this on this podcast has pretty strong feelings about it. Um, definitely fits the bill of what you think of as like a traditional A24 studio release. Um, a little more on the film bro side, tends to be a little more art housey than your typical major releases, which is notable because most of these A24 movies do make it into major theaters. So um, while not necessarily like horror films, you can think of like Moonlight or Waves or or uh, like Ari Aster's two movies, Midsommar and Hereditary, are some of the more notable coming out of the studio. Um, movies that I'm sure we'll draw connections to later in, in spoilers. Um, I don't know if we want to go into thoughts now. Hank, why don't you kick us off? I think I probably have the most contentious opinions on this movie. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll kick us off. Um, for our audience that might not know me as well as my co-hosts, I'm a huge horror fan. And uh, I like all kinds of horror. Like, I like me some schlocky horror. I like me some B-horror. But my favorite horror is art house horror, um, especially art house horror that I feel kind of approximates the feeling I get from uh, the more literary side of uh, written horror. I, I read a lot, of, uh, a lot of horror books, horror stories. I like fairly literary ones that don't lean towards the genre too heavily. Um, and so with that, St. Maud was kind of like a quintessential Hank movie. It's very art house. Um, you know, you see it from the outset, just like the way shots are composed, the way everything's introduced. Um, it continues that throughout. And I think it does have a, a fairly heavy kind of literary bent, um, despite being, you know, a, a film and not a piece of literature per se. So anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Um, I don't really know exactly what I expected going into it. Um, I, I I had heard some things about the movie, uh, just kind of like seeing bits and pieces of review where I was walking in. And I was like, oh, man, is this going to like traumatize me and my girlfriend as we're watching it? And that actually that actually wasn't my experience. Like it like it, it, it you know, it was, it was a dark movie. There were parts that were hard to watch. But uh, it's it's not one of those horror movies that's only good because it is going to like ruin your week. Um, so anyway, I like it. It's artful. I think it's great to look at. It's got a lot of style. Uh, the story's presented in a way that uh, I, you know, I kind of go in for. And it's not uh, incredibly hard to watch, which can actually, you know, sometimes I like my horror movies being hard to watch, but it's nice to see one occasionally that doesn't lean into that too heavily. So overall, I liked it. That's my first take. Uh, with that, <laughs> Taylor, do you have some first thoughts? <laughs> 
I I liked it too. It uh, you know, when I was watching it, I definitely was thinking this is a Hank movie because it has these uncomfortable moments that are not like you know, it's not gory necessarily. It's not it's not scary exactly. It's definitely un unnerving, unsettling. But I just thought this is a movie Hank would like. I feel like Hank, you kind of like really want to sit and stew and your skin crawling when something's just like deeply uncomfortable. So. I was thinking of you. It's I think it's a good scary movie for people that don't love scary movies because it doesn't have any jump scares, not really, and um, it's it's got more of a story that is uh, I guess more character driven than a lot of typical you know big scary um, horror films. So I, I liked it. Um, it uh, it kind of lost a little steam for me partway through, and I get why what they were doing and, and why that happened, um, but. I, I, you know, I just, I got a real soft spot for really bad horror. Like just, you, we were talking about <laughs> The Descent the other day. And uh, that's, that's when I want a scary movie, I want to really get immersed. I want to sit there and really feel like maybe there are creepy, scary things that I thought weren't real. And this movie was very much not that. So it's not exactly my cup of tea for a scary movie, but I thought it was really well done. The acting was great. Um, and it was not the kind of movie I would normally watch. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to expand my horizons so keegan you haven't spoken up yeah i think uh, my thoughts on the movie can be summed up mostly with just a big sigh uh generally as I, I watched the movie twice i watched it last week uh, just out of interest and then i rewatched it like about two hours ago just before recording to jog my memory and i think both times after it wrapped up i think my general sentiment was just kind of <sighs> okay <laughs> that was that was fine that was it was watchable um as as far as the things that i did like about it i think it did well um i think we had brought up earlier you know it has a relatively short runtime i think with credits it comes in just at like 89 minutes um so it doesn't overstay its welcome i think it's a movie that doesn't you know take itself overly seriously as a lot of these a24 horror movies can kind of fall into um and i think you know, even if you're not a huge genre fan and you don't watch a lot of these kind of like more heady art house horror films, I think it's pretty clear by the end of the movie what transpired. Um, and I think when you're thinking of A24 and they're looking for movies that they want to acquire the distribution rights to, a lot of the times they're looking for movies that are super ambiguous and it, you know, it lends to multiple rewatches and you, you know, you go on Reddit and there's all these, you know, true film conspiracy theories about what actually happened and picking apart every scene. And after watching it twice, I just don't really get the impression that it's this super layered conspiracy. And I think it's more more just a, a relatively straightforward horror film, um, which I appreciate, appreciate about it as well. Um, generally, I'm not a big fan of the movies that I think A24 picks up. Um, I talked earlier about like Midsommar, Hereditary, and Waves. Those are like 2019 movies. Um, I think It Comes at Night was pretty good as well, similar to that. Um, but I think movies like The Lobster and First Cow are super overrated and critically acclaimed. Like they're critically acclaimed, but they're super overrated. Um, similar is like Uncut Gems from last year, which was one of two movies that I actually walked out of the theater of because I just did not enjoy it whatsoever. I think they kind of like go for these like niche, small to mid-budget movies that are gonna like speak to the art house cinephile crowd and do well enough with credits that they you know they can maybe see about getting on the Criterion Collection or or like have some kind of staying power in like the film community, um, but. 
for my money, I think moving into 2020, 2021, if I'm looking for a distribution company that's making these kinds of movies, I usually tend to lean towards Neon, who did Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Not that, you know, distribution companies everything, but if I'm seeing an A24 logo, I usually kind of have my apprehensions going into a movie. And I think that kind of played out here. It's definitely better than a lot of the other weird ones. I didn't really enjoy The Lighthouse, and I think this was better than that. Um, but if like you know, if you're looking for an entry into this kind of horror movie, I think it's it's a good stepping stone into that. So overall, very just meh on the movie. Okay, so I think that uh, once again we have kind of a split here um, in our in our host opinions. Obviously, I love the movie. Keegan, you're a mad guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mad guy. You're a mad guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. And Taylor seemed to like it, uh, but more in kind of like a, yeah, I can see why that's appealing to people sort of way. Is, is that a fair summary, Taylor? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, um, and with that, I feel like responding to a bit of what Keegan said about uh, A24, um, Keegan is the sort of guy that is not a huge A24 fan. I'm the other sort of guy. And, <laughs> there are only um, two kinds of guys. I'm not mad guy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I'm going to, my, my girlfriend, like, occasionally says I'm kind of pretentious about this sort of thing. And I'm not trying to be pretentious. I'm not, like, trying to say you're wrong if you don't like it. I think everyone's allowed to sure. like what they like. Um, just want to throw this out there. I am a, a self-proclaimed Nickelback fan. So, you know, like, I, <laughs> you, you we're allowed to like things that others don't like. And we're allowed to dislike things that others like. I'm fine with that. But A24, I really like their style. Um, I can see why... Excuse me. I, I've uh, got a bit of a burp going on. <laughs> <laughs> Too many spirits. Too many... Sp no. Um, but uh, I, I can see why uh, they're kind of general output uh wouldn't be super appealing to people or why you'd think they're kind of overrated their movies uh tend to be a little bit slow in plotting um they tend to be really visually driven or at least a lot of their movies are you know there's like a ton of style in a lot of their movies uh with and the substance of the movies it tends to be more ambiguous um but like i think i've said in a previous episode I am a big style guy. You know, I watch something and I want to I want to be kind of dazzled, you know, and I don't really care if it does if it didn't make sense at the end of the day or if it did make sense. And I don't really agree with what it said if it was, you know, real fucking stylish. Um, and I, I, I think that a lot of their movies kind of hit that sweet spot for me. So, like, I'll walk out of the movie and I won't be like, wow, that was the best story I've ever seen. But I'll be like, man, was that kind of fun to watch or what? Like, um, what are you what are you looking for when you're trying to evaluate the style of a movie? Um, there there are a few things. Uh, a big one is I like to have uh, kind of creative moving shots uh, in movies, and I think the A two four does kind of a lot of that. Whether they're follow shots or whether they're shots that have the camera like rotating on an axis that we're not used to seeing a rotation on. Um, I really am into that, and I see a lot of that in A24. I also like uh, distinctive use of colors in films. Uh, I think that mm. this movie had a great use of color. There were a lot of shots that were composed with these kind of like cool greens and really warm oranges and yellows, and they made kind of distinct parts of the frame. And that was carried throughout St. Maud, and it's, it's, it's a kind of a common theme in some A24 movies, and that really gets me going. And uh, if for, for a lot of people, you know, that doesn't make up for, like, kind of a lack of substance sometimes. 
but for me it does and i'll admit that (laughs) Um, okay all right and then also in terms of style sometimes i i like a movie that uh just kind of like throws some stuff at you and doesn't really take any time to like inspect it too closely like in saint mod there are a lot of scenes where like we don't really dig into what was happening during that scene but they happen and then uh we move on and we don't really talk about it again and sometimes i like that i'm like ooh, something new um you know it kind of it kind of even with a slow pace it can kind of keep me on my toes to have that sort of an approach to the way you're you're delivering your movie and for me that works okay. so uh Keegan, totally respect your opinions on A24. Don't even necessarily disagree with them. Um, but <laughs> but from my perspective, you know, just my tastes being what they are, I'm the other side of the uh, of the opinion line on that one. I, I love their output, um, despite its faults. I think before we jump into spoilers, do you think that you kind of give a little more leeway to the style over substance when you're watching horror movies specifically? Because I've noticed, noticed personally... I think I can do that with science fiction a lot. Like, so, I mean, even Blade Runner, there's not a lot going on in the story, but it's just so physically dazzling. You can't help but just be like, completely taken in by it. But I get the impression that, like, because you're such a horror guy, that's where you kind of, al- like, allow the most slack. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'll definitely admit to being kind of a genre softy, uh, specifically for mm-hmm. horror movies. Um, though I will say, actually, I, I do the same thing with science fiction. You, you guys have heard me talking about the Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a fun. We heard George watch. talk about it. Um, yeah, we heard George. Unfortunately, he won't be returning for this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, with horror, I, I can, I can definitely lean into it. If I'm like, ooh, yeah, but that made me kind of uncomfortable. I'm kind of like, okay, that horror movie worked for me. Um, Hmm. Even if, you know, I look back on it afterwards and I'm like, ah, I don't really see why. Sometimes there doesn't need to be a why. Like, just like the fact that it triggered that in me is enough for me and I'll give it the leeway. Um, Though, you know, I admit that that's something that I give some leniency on. You know, I'm I'm going to give higher scores to horror movies just because I I love what they're trying to do. Sure. Interesting. Okay. All right. So, um, with that, I guess, do we have any more non-spoiler thoughts, or do we want to talk about the movie, the plot of what was going on? Do we want to move into that spoiler territory? I feel like just from a, a, a non-spoiler kind of perspective, that I, I think that if you go into it, and uh, if, you're, you know, if you're not a horror fan, you, don't, you haven't heard of 824 or any of the stuff we're talking about, this might be a good film to kind of dip your toes into this. I know we already said it, but I think if you, cause I, I didn't, I kind of forgot who had produced it or who distributed it. Um, boom. I just went, went and looked it up. Cause that's what Hank told me to do. And I kind of forgot, <laughs> I forgot all the background for it, which is kind of nice, except that I was expecting a different, a different type of, uh, a different type of movie. And not that this was, this was bad or wrong or anything like that. But I think if you're some, I really want to stress if you're someone that isn't a fan of horror, you might want to give this a shot. Cause I think it'll, it'll do some different things for you. Yeah. And actually I, I watched this one with my girlfriend and she's, she's a horror fan kind of like me, but uh, she does have some kind of hard stops for her that, I, that occur in the horror horror category. She doesn't like a lot of gore in movies. Um, she doesn't like, uh, you know, like too much like psychological trauma or sexual violence in her movies. And she really liked this movie, which is to say, you know, like you can go in and know that it's not the sort of horror that's just going to like fuck you up. Yeah, you know, it's not at all. like it, it has an impact, but uh, it's it's watchable. 
Yeah. That's not to say there's no like gore violence in the movie. Like I don't want to say, especially at this point, whether or not there is or isn't, you know, like there's definitely some shocking content. It is a horror movie, but it's not going to ruin your week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, people weren't, uh, uh, aren't into horror and weren't going to listen to the rest of the podcast. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not exactly what you're expecting. If you haven't seen some of these films, like, like Midsommar is kind of a a good example of the kind of feel these movies have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like it's one of those things you hear horror, you think Friday the 13th nightmare on Elm street, and you're just going to be so far off base of what this movie is delivering to you. This is, much more of a, kind of a contemplative journey than like your traditional horror flick. It's like a drama thriller first, yeah. right? With you know, yeah. with with horror aspects kind of sprinkled on top for set dressing. Yeah, it's like a, a drama thriller dressed up as a horror movie. It's got all the trappings. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's definitely some disturbing things. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it's yeah. definitely you know, it's definitely yeah. not a kids movie. But. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, with that, I think. It might be time to talk about the spoiler part. So, you know, hard stop here for anyone that hasn't seen the movie wants to. Um, We're moving into spoiler territory. So I guess what I'll bring up is uh, the beginning to the movie. Uh, I think could be, and when I say the beginning, I mean the very first scene. There's an opening shot. It's Maud curled up in the corner of, I believe, an operating room. It might just be a doctor's office. But there's blood everywhere. There's a dead man on a table. Um, it's, it's clear something bad has happened here. And uh, it's, it's a little bit shocking as an opening shot. You know, like, it's, it's not going to, you know, like, completely, sh- like, destroy your, your, your evening. But it's, it's shocking. You know, it opens up to some blood, some death. Um, and I personally like that sort of an opening. It's hard, it, you know. It's a hard open. It gets you kind of ready for what's coming. Uh, it kind of introduces the themes without like taking any anything away from the the mystery that's central to the movie. Um, and I've seen it used in other movies. I'm a big fan of uh, Midsummer is a good example. There's the uh, opening scene to Midsummer with a, a, actually kind of a very similar setup, uh, though not with the the main character in that one. Um, but I know that some people really kind of hate that sort of a hard open. Like they think it's not really worth anything. And like I said, like it doesn't really give anything away about the central mystery. So you could probably lop that scene off without losing what was happening in the movie. Uh, so anyway, I really liked that. I wanted to hear what your guys' thoughts were on it. I it always kind of feels cheap to me, honestly. When, when there's when there's something really heavy or so, you know, a important thing in the very first scene, it always just feels a little a little cheap. I, I kind of want to be, you know, I want I want them to buy me dinner first. I don't just want to <laughs> rush right to that. You know, that's actually funny. Haley said that exact same thing about Midsummer. She saw the opening scene in Midsummer. She hated it, and she said, "At least buy me dinner first. Like, give me fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Work, work me into that before you just thrust me right into this. Because it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's sort of this. It's kind of their shtick where they just want to make you uncomfortable for the sake of it, and then carry it through the whole time. And if there's not a point to it, if there's not a reason for why we're doing it, it's just kind of like, eh, okay. <laughs> I think a counterpoint to that. I really liked that that kind of cold open in midsummer and i think it, it set like an upper threshold of how much you can handle like right off the bat right and i like obviously that doesn't work if you're in theaters but it serves as like if you're watching it at home 
I think the the opening scene from Midsommar, not to spoil it, but I think it's probably the most like emotionally devastating scene from the entire movie put into context. And I think certainly there's things that are more like physically repulsive and there's more gory scenes that are going to come up. But I think it kind of sets the upper bound of like, this is the horrible things these characters are going to go through. Like you're seeing the death of one character's three family members all in once in this kind of two minute one take. And it's pretty horrific. And it kind of says like, you know, if you're not going to be around for this, you know, we're going to we're going to take an hour off to to do some setup, but it's going to get right back to this at some point And just know that, you know, it's going to be equally as, as destructive to your psyche as this opening scene. So I liked it. I think the one here in St. Maud was not... I don't think it was used quite as well. And I think I have some problems that we can get into later where, you know, it sets it up as this thing that was very, you know, it was very big issue in her life. And she, it changed a lot about her. It pushed her into her kind of fanatic religion and, you know, converted her. But it doesn't feel like that is the only thing that is pushing her to this. And it feels like they want to introduce so many things to make her character so complex. And she has all these issues and she goes out and there's that whole bar sequence we could talk about later. But I just feel like it, it muddies the waters a little bit with the things that, that give her any kind of motivation. Um, so I think if, if that was the only big thing that was kind of terrifying the character, it would have a little bit more weight for me. Uh, but just cinematically, I, I guess I, I liked it, but narratively it had some issues. Yeah. I, I think I can agree with that. Um, with I think narratively definitely got some issues cinematically thoroughly enjoyable for someone like me that's yeah. coming here to be shocked you know I've seen too many of these movies I don't feel anything anymore so you know that's sort of a scene <laughs> it uh it does something for me but you know I oh I will freely admit uh narratively does not really tie in in, in a completely satisfying way I just think you know I I can I can put up with the hard to watch stuff if there's a point, if there's a reason for the suffering, if there's a lesson learned or not, I don't need everything to work out, but I just need some, it must contribute basically. So the fact that this kind of doesn't or that the story could have been told pretty much the same without it, it's just like, well, then you're just making people uncomfortable for the sake of it. And maybe Hank, that is, that is all in your wheelhouse. But for me, it's kind of like, ugh, I kind of get meh vibes. I'm kind of on Keegan's side when it's not for a point or it's not for a purpose. Yeah, I think all that makes sense. But I guess let's move on to some of the more more of the substance of the film. You know, this is a, a very cinematically striking piece of the movie. It, it's, you know, important for that reason. But like Taylor's saying, it's not part of the point. Moving on to some of the point of the movie, um, the main character, Maud, uh, she's caring for a terminally ill woman, uh, becomes very obsessed with the woman's lifestyle, thinks she has to save the woman's soul, and then ends up doing some perhaps less than virtuous things to get there um so overall uh for me the plot was actually the weakest part of the movie um but i thought it was so stylish that i didn't care um but i am curious to hear you know like that that first scene aside and the fact that it didn't really matter what did you guys think about the central arc of mod you know her trying to save this woman's soul eventually doing some kind of horrific things uh in the course of that uh did that land for you did it work for you uh, or is that a big part of your meh yeah i think it definitely plays into the meh i don't know if i was super interested in it um i think it got more interesting once you mix in some of the more horror elements things that kind of kept me more interested i think if we just had an entire movie of just this care who's you know 
fairly religious and kind of oversteps her bounds into someone's personal life. I don't find that to be particularly interesting. When she has the confrontation with the girlfriend or when she, you know, gets in a, an argument with Amanda, the person she's caring for at the party. You know, I think it's it's interesting enough. I think it's shot very claustrophobically. And I think, you know, Hank, you keep bringing up how like well made the film is and how, you know, cinematographically, cinematographically striking it is. Um, but I guess I just really was not that concerned. I think anything could have happened differently, and I probably wouldn't have cared that much. I I I actually liked Maud's story. I I kind of would have been down for more of Maud's story. I kind of you know the mm-hmm. the the biggest sort of problem I had with the movie was it got bogged down in the middle. So we're you know we're in spoilers now. So I'll, I'll go through this, but. Um, we get this new relationship with Maud and her new, uh, her new patient that she's caring for her. Like, you know, it's palliative care. So she's terminally ill. The, the patient's name's Amanda. And we can already tell that Maud's, you know, she's, she's, it's unclear on if she's, um, just having uh, hallucinations or if this is real and we're kind of, you know, entertaining that. And then we start to get some, um, some more interaction with her and Amanda where Amanda starts to kind of see some of the same stuff Maud does. So that kind of starts to build in our mind. Hey, maybe Maud's not crazy. And then that just goes away. Um, and Amanda kind of becomes mean to her and we, it becomes clear that the main arc of the story is not the relationship between Maud and Amanda, the whole thing seen through Maud's eyes. She's in every scene. So I get why they did that, but that was, you know, right in the middle of the second act. So getting to where we're going to be at the climax and instead we just get oh okay i guess we're, we're going to develop mod for another 30 or 40 minutes um and so like mod as a character i thought was cool but i just wanted to see her interact with more characters her doing her crazy stuff by herself in a room wasn't super interesting to me yeah yeah and this is this is something that i think i tend to agree with you guys on like in terms of the cinematography the composition of the film loved it and that carried the movie for me but i'm not going to argue that the uh, central plot was a really strong aspect of this film i thought that uh mod was an interesting character uh but probably the most interesting parts of her story were not being told during the course of the film um i think we kind of missed out on a lot of that stuff and so instead what we had were just kind of some of her uncomfortable interactions in the less interesting part of her life um, with the yeah. exception of the very end yeah <laughs> most of what most of the interaction we get with other characters is her being really awkward her being very uncomfortable to be around and we see these other characters that seem like perfectly put together decent people that are just you know looking at her like she's a crazy person and i like that's fun a little bit and i kind of i liked it but it just it ice you know the whole point is that she's isolated right that's that's mm-hmm. the one of the main shticks of her character is that she's lonely and isolated and that's why she's doing these crazy things but i don't know i just i just thought that she was a pretty interesting character i wanted to see her you know i wanted to see her have her visions around other people and be forced to confront that and we get to determine if they're real or not but mostly it's her just trying to be normal in front of people and that doesn't work so it's just all awkward but it's so it's it, it the awkward scenes almost feel really detached from the private scenes where we just see her you know totally lose her mind and do all kinds of crazy stuff yeah absolutely yeah. and uh yeah like i i was watching it and i was thinking you know like if i could have chosen what i would see in the plot i would have seen mod getting fired i would have seen 
um, Maud's interactions with the other nurses. I would have seen some of the kind of like distantly alluded to earlier parts of Maud's life uh, where she wasn't religious. And then, you know, I, we, I would have kept the stuff with her talking to Welsh God um, at her altar in her room. Um, but I, I felt like what they picked for the plot didn't necessarily land for me in terms of like digesting it. Um, but what I did like um, was the discomfort of the interactions and the way they were like framing those shots. I thought that the camera work really supported the tone of, of the themes. I thought it was really well scored um, and all of that stuff worked for me, though I'm totally agreeing with you guys that the, that the plot as, as it was uh you know, consider it on its own. I wouldn't have read the plot, you know? And I don't want to pile in on the plot too much. I think we like have a, a fair amount of stuff to dig into with the kind of supernatural religious elements as well. But I think the last thing that I want to say on this is that I felt kind of frustrated. Um, there was a little bit of a juxtaposition of, between whether Maud was mostly running away from, I mean, what we're led to believe is like someone who had died on the operating room potentially due to her failing is she running from that or is she running from this kind of like overt sexuality that i think the movie puts her through and i feel like the sexualization of her character is kind of pretty weird pretty off-putting and i don't think that it's necessary to move the plot along and if anything like it just muddies the water of that that patient that died right so like you know, you have the sex scene. She has these like this huge downward spiral at the bar. Like you talked about, all these pretty well-adjusted people that are sitting at a table next to her, just completely made uncomfortable by how she's trying to laugh along at their jokes and all this kind of really off behavior that she's exhibiting. But like, she has a pretty like weird impersonal hand job with a random stranger she sees across the bar. Um, it's it almost feels like transactional it's really weird after that she bumps into another guy when she's super drunk and then they end up sleeping together and it it shows a lot more than i felt that it really needed to and then it almost turns into this really uncomfortable rape scene where she is kind of over it and she's kind of haunted by the past um event with her her patient who had passed away and she, you know the the man still crawls on top of her and it's really really difficult to watch i thought it was actually the, the most difficult thing to watch in the whole movie and you know she chose mary magdalene as her saint so it clearly wants to make the message of you know she's running away and she she's trying to repress some of this like kind of bombastic sexuality that she has shown because the, the bigger guy says that i recognize you you know you you had it all with my buddy back in the day the cute little nurse so it's pretty clear that she was you know for better or for worse fairly promiscuous in the past and i think choosing a path you know her running away from her sexual behavior or her running away from the failings of her old nursing job either one would have been interesting if you just were diving into that but i feel like we don't have enough runtime we don't have enough script length like i just i think it's a little busy to try to cram in both of them and i feel like the sexualization part was just kind of fumbled in my opinion and i, I really wish they would have just leaned in towards her potentially killing a patient personally yeah i I tend to agree. I think the scene that you said was the hardest to watch. I definitely agree that that scene I would have left out of the movie. I yeah. it, it, it did that. That one didn't work for me. You know, the, even you know the scoring and the uh, the cinematography did not save that scene for me. That was that was a solid yeah. fumble. 
Um, so that's but, actually that's interesting because I when, I when that scene came on, I'm just thinking, yep, this movie just wants to make you feel uncomfortable in a million different ways about a million different things. But Hank, you that that didn't work for you. You didn't think it had the same. It didn't pull it off in the same way as the other uncomfortable things. Yeah, it didn't pull it off in the same way because there are a number of reasons, but like a lot of it comes down to that scene just that that wasn't like surreal uncomfortableness like a lot of the other scenes you see like her having her kind of like experience with amanda where they both see god and they both like you know look like they're having an orgasmic experience like there's like this kind of layer of surrealism that like you're uncomfortable but it's uh you know, it, it, it like it's layered into the surrealism. They have like a kind of weird score going on. The camera's moving around a lot. That's that one scene, uh, her with the man from the bar. They just focus in on her face and play the scene through to its conclusion. There's no creative camera work. That I don't even think there's any scoring in that scene. There's none of the stuff that elevates all the other mm. uncomfortable scenes for me. It's just a dead-on stare at something that is very real and, you know, kind of awful. I, I, not even kind of awful. Completely awful. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, th there's kind of a distinction there. You know, the other the other ones, uh, it's not as, as much of a reality. It's more kind of like this, like, abstracted discomfort that I, I tend to take from horror and really like. But that one scene is just a dead-on, you know, fish-eyed stare at something awful that you don't want to watch. It's not adding anything. Like I said, the plot didn't really land for me, so anything it contributed to the plot was already contributing to one of the weaker parts of the film for me. Okay. So there were the the other scenes that are uncomfortable, they're really artful. They're really uh, you know, kind of like beautiful and surreal. And that scene just didn't have any of that. It was just this cold, hard, dead stare. Yeah, okay. which I think yeah. is fine to show. I think the script just doesn't. It, I don't think the script is concerned with addressing it with any kind of weight. Mm -hmm. I think, like, if you're gonna show this really awful, you know, violence, sexual violence against a woman, I think you have the onus is on you a little bit to dive into that, right? Like, I think it just we move along, and mm -hmm. it's we just showed you this because it's scary, and we know that rape is gonna make you uncomfortable, and here it is put it in your face and now we're going to move on to the next part. We're never going to address that again, but don't you feel kind of weird now? Like it, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot to make it hold water. Whereas some of the religious elements, even though I didn't love the movie, I think there's enough to make you think like, Oh, you know, is there some psychosis that all people that think they hear voices from God deal with? Like it's an interesting and compelling question in a way that I don't think just showing us this graphic rape scene, it intends to do in any way. Yeah. yeah. And to be clear, like, it's graphic and upsetting. It's not like I spit on your grave, you know, it's not like 30 minutes yeah. long. Um, but I, I thought that was, while the most uncomfortable scene in the movie, also the weakest scene in the movie, um, which I know sounds kind of like a contradiction based on what I've said earlier. But, um, you know, I, I like the uncomfortable scenes, but I like it to be artful. I like it to be kind of surreal. I don't want it to be like you know, something absolutely real just stared dead on with a camera. Like, I don't want to watch you just, like, like beating someone on camera for 10 minutes or something, you know? And it kind yeah. of felt like that. It wasn't there's no point, something yeah. weird that I couldn't see, like, if I just found, like, some really shitty dude and followed him around, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that what you guys were saying about the 
her her sexuality and and what role that played in in her kind of psychosis i i think the fact that they didn't really develop that i mean because even even that difficult scene it's not uh it's not like there was you know some sexual violence that was the impetus for her having this break with reality right it seems pretty clear it was about Mm -hmm. that patient that died so it, it it's sort of like the religious tone in that they I liked how they broached it and they're thinking about it, but they just never really explored it enough to kind of make it all pull together. Um, and and I think the I think they do that with a couple different things in the movie: the her relationship with Amanda, Amanda's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. When when it is something uncomfortable like that, you want you want there to be some bigger purpose or reason or payoff if we're going to, you know, see something that uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I want there to be some reason or I want there to be some art to it. And that scene I felt lacked in both, but moving past that scene to the scene, I think immediately following it, it's Maude in her room, uh, talking to God, asking for forgiveness. And we actually hear God's voice for the first time in the movie that following scene did work for me you know you hear god speaking in welsh for a vast amount of the of the viewership you don't know what welsh sounds like most people haven't heard welsh spoken it's this weird kind of alien sound like not that welsh is is an alien language but if you haven't heard it before you know it it doesn't sound like the romance languages or the nordic languages and it doesn't sound like any asian languages you know it's it's kind of its own thing so you see mod in the scene she's it's kind of wonky looking it's very trippy she's talking to god god's talking back in this language you've never heard before it's all weird it's all alien that scene really worked for me and uh that was like an example of why i enjoyed the movie so much so it was weird coming off of a scene that i didn't really enjoy at all to a scene that i was like man this is why i come into the movie like i wanted to see something weird i wanted to see something alien Mm -hmm. um so anyway that was kind of a weird experience for me i was kind of curious how you guys felt about that transition yeah, that's that scene was one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I wanted more of that. I wanted I wanted more. Uh, I don't know, not not action for the sake of it, but I wanted some more exposition, right? Like, let's really dive into what she's thinking, you know? Yeah. What what is she hearing? You know, like if, if the plot mm-hmm. had focused on that, the plot would have landed for me more. You know, obviously the visual style thrilled me, especially so in that scene. Actually, and in that scene, the plot and the visual style kind of started to sync up for me. Um, and it, it's it ceased to kind of after that but uh yeah that 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 was that was a really cool scene for me keegan yeah no i liked it too i i liked all the scenes that we had uh with with god i think it's it's fun you finally start to feel like hey are we getting some confirmation that she you know she is in conversation with god that she's not just completely crazy i mean you know I have my own opinion at the end of the movie as to what actually happened, but it's it feels like it's moving things along. It's really interesting. I like that it's almost essentially shot entirely in the dark. Uh, I don't want to give the movie too much credit, but it kind of reminded me of like The Exorcist, where um, the demon is always super shrouded. Like you'd have to completely like jack up your your brightness on your TV to see like any kind of outline of anything. So I thought that was really cool. And I think isn't the scene preceded by her? getting home and projectile vomiting and then there's fireworks yeah am i remembering this correctly yeah yeah, you're you're correct which was also a really really weird and disconcerting scene where she kind of falls on the ground and 
she had left her sink running and there's water coming over the edge of her her uh what is it sink it's basin like over the, the edge of her little kitchen yeah, yeah. um so yeah no I, I think the whole thing was really super stylish i agree that it's like a weird juxtaposition between the two scenes but no i liked it a lot i like any scenes where we had her speaking with the god i am very uncultured with different languages so i assumed the whole time that she, he was speaking in latin so good to know now <laughs> cool, cool to find out now that that was actually welsh because it does i mean to your point it sounds super alien if you've never really heard it before yeah, it's a very cool scene. Kind of disappointing to me that it was, you know, preceded immediately by one of the weaker scenes of the film and followed up by a, a short stretch of the film that I thought was a little bit weaker than that one scene that was quite powerful. Um, but overall... Can we move next yeah. into her friend coming to visit her, right? That's the, the nurse that she had met the other night that's an old friend from when they were nurses together, right? Yeah. She comes and does kind of a house call. Joy comes, does a house call, sees everything is obviously not okay, and we never hear from <laughs> Joyce again. Um, I was rooting for Joyce, man. The whole time she's saying, I'm like, run, run, this lady's crazy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Joyce, you're going to fucking die. <laughs> the other but, uh, I'm shocked she made it through. Yeah. The other nurse, too. The minute we met the other nurse, I was like, this lady's dying. And then she was so sweet and nice. I love all the conversations with the other characters, the other minor characters, because they're all so normal. They're all just, like, totally <laughs> fine, decent, nice people. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I think the movie actually did do well in kind of a tonal way was showing that Maud was having these struggles, but, like, they were very personal. Like, the people around her totally normal yep. nothing going on with them it's it, you know like i think that really sells the isolation of the movie not again you know i really like the style of the movie don't really love the plot don't want to give the plot too much credit but i thought her interactions with other people's did sell kind of the the, the core themes pretty well yeah definitely. yeah i agree i think like later on they try to set up amanda you know i i don't think she's actually a demon but they they set her up as though she actually is possessed and prior to that Amanda's super level-headed, man. She's like, she, for someone who has, I think, stage four lymphoma, she's kind of a dick in a certain scene, but given what, you know, Maude had gone behind her back and tried to do, I think it's a, a fairly level-headed approach. I thought Amanda was written super interestingly as well. I thought Amanda would be a gas when she was young. She looked like a ton of fun. That party, I was just thinking, I was talking to my partner as we were watching, and I was like, can you imagine if we were at this party and didn't know anybody and this whole <laughs> thing happened? That would be the coolest party. Yeah, the party I was watching, and, and the whole time I was watching the party, I was like, man, I wish I could go out right now. And I think that's a sign of, of, of portraying a party well, because, you know, even when I can actually go out freely, you know, there are a lot of parties I hear about, and I'm like, nah, I'm going to stay home and watch St. Maude. Uh, <laughs> that party, I was like, if someone called me up and he was like, man, there's this dope party going on, there's this old rich lady, she has all her friends over, I would have been there, you yeah. know? Like, if someone had described yeah. that party. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially if our caretaker's going to, you know, crack and slap her in the middle of the party, too. That's that's exciting drama, you know? Everyone wants a little <laughs> bit of drama at their party. Not too much, you know? Like, like, like we've all been to parties where there's too much drama. There's, like, a drive-by or something. But that was the perfect amount of drama. Yeah, that was that yeah. that was great. That was actually... It, but it was it was weird, too, because, so, you know, Maude, obviously... Maude's not having a great time at this party. And, uh... And... It, they, they they did it was one of those scenes where we're not sure what's real since we're seeing everything through mod's eyes so we're seeing things tornadoes and glasses or whatever i figure if we actually get tornadoes and glasses in that scene but stuff like that where we're not sure it's real and then you know the 
party guests begin to kind of make fun of her, we think. But I wasn't even clear on if any of that happened. I, I wasn't even clear on if um, what Amanda said even happened. And it was kind of just like, ugh, because it could have been cool. There could have been some interesting stuff there. And then it just happens. And then she leaves and it's done. And it's like, was there a point to any of that? Did any of that matter? Yeah, the, again, a, a, a place where I feel the plot failed. The party, super fun to watch. But, you know, thinking about it afterwards, you know, you, you can think about the shots and you can be like, yeah, that was a well-composed shot. But you're not going to think about the party and be like, wow, what a brilliant plot device. right? Here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we just needed something yeah. to, like, publicly embarrass Maude and get her out of, of being in a caring position to move her on to her psychosis a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So anyway, I feel yeah. like we've kind of uh, circled around a few things here. You know, we all think the plot's kind of weak, even those of us that thoroughly enjoy the movie. Me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, the style, I think we would all agree, it's there. The movie, it looks good. It's it's well shot. Uh, you know, the acting is, is fairly good, despite the maybe the script not being entirely there. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good stuff about the movie. I think this would be a good time to kind of bring up some thoughts and summation of the movie well yeah do we want to spend a little time jumping into some of the supernatural stuff real quick uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah there's there's a fair amount yeah because it's i she has these i think initially she has these kind of manifestations where she's feeling god within her and like taylor had said they're almost kind of sexual experiences she has one while she's washing the dishes and i think they I, I was curious on you guys to take, are these effects or does the actress, is she able to just open her mouth enormously? Because it's pretty convincing either way. We, the we first, talked about the first, this. Okay. Miranda and I talked about this and uh, we couldn't, she thinks it's CGI. I, I, I think so. At first I wasn't sure, but then I think mm -hmm. it was uh, one of the last, very last scenes. She does it again and I, I got convinced. I think yeah. it's CGI, just a little, little hint of it, a little touch of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it might be CGI, but I don't know if it's CGI in every scene. I feel like they might kind of intersperse CGI and just her. Like, I, I think she can open her mouth pretty wide, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, she seems to be able to do it. I think there's maybe some CGI added in a few scenes to make it more believable when you do see it. You know, it's, it's like it's like wearing some real jewelry and with your costume jewelry, you know, it kind of hides the yeah. costume jewelry. Yeah. I think I, I think it might have been a little bit of that. You know, she's good at it. They throw in some CGI a few times. Boom. You're convinced every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that yeah. was my take. Yeah. 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 I think I think Amanda certainly when she freaks out at her and she exposes herself as being a test to her you know her devotion to god that's definitely cgi yeah. i think but i i agree i'm super 50 50 on the the mod stuff but i i lean towards thinking it was cgi as well well i mean i guess to that what do you guys think was the ultimate outcome of the movie do you think she actually was in conversation with god and she ascended do you think she was tricked by another god and you know is going to hell or do you think this is all something that's that's in her head so I'm a big fan of fantastical horror. I would love to say there is some other God that talked to her and she went to hell. You know, like I've, I've read a lot of Lovecraft. I've read a lot of like Matchin and uh, Ashton Smith. But in this case, I think this is a girl with some very serious problems that did not have anyone looking out for her. Yeah, I think so too. I, and I think, I mean, I, I think they're trying to tell us that, right? Because the very very last shot after she set herself on fire 
um, and we, you know, we see her delusion. We see her wings. We see everybody on the beach bowing down to, you know, oh man, the Almighty is clearly present. And then the very last little flash that we get is uh, her face in reality as she's consumed by flames and she's screaming and she's all burned. So I think they were trying to tell us that, yeah, she was just a crazy lady, which was was kind of unfortunate, right? Because we got that's the little bits of CGI that I thought were used really well here and there to show some supernatural stuff. And then the conundrum is, is this just what Maud's seeing or is this real? And I don't think they needed to answer it. But they give you that last mm-hmm. little bit at the end, which I think is why it's a great movie for people that aren't huge fans of horror. Because, you know, it puts a nice little bow on everything. Oh, no, don't worry. There's not Welsh gods trying to get you to set yourself on fire. This lady just <laughs> lost touch for a sec. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was really conflicting for me. Um, it, it made me think back on there's an old Twilight episode, you know, like there's some or Twilight Zone episode there, you know, the uh, it's got William Shatner. I don't remember the name of the episode, but there's the famous line like there's someone on the wing, something um, in that episode. Uh, I, I think got a lot of flack because like it could have left everything ambiguous, but then it showed actual damage to the wing. Similarly, this scene you know, if you just leave it at her having wings, like, no one's going to say, like, oh, of course, there was really a supernatural element, and it wasn't all in her head. Like, it's kind of ambiguous, but you show that last the last couple frames of her actually burning, and you take away all ambiguity. I thought it was a really cool shot. I thought the shock value was there for me. Like, I enjoyed watching it. But, like, if I was watching the film purely for the plot... I, I would want there to be some ambiguity. I don't think putting a bow on it improves the film in any way. And I felt like that movie or that scene put a bow on the film. Um, yeah, d- definitely. So I, I, I felt like very watchable, but in terms of content, not a good addition. Really? I, I kind of like putting a bow on it. I think a lot of these movies, like these kind of more like heady horror movies, they think they're a little bit smarter than they are and they leave it ambiguous. Cause I think, during development during you know the script being written and maybe they find something in post or they they change the direction of the movie i think a lot of times like the director doesn't even know what path they wanted it to go and not that they always need to right but i think there there should be something in their mind at least that adds some consistency throughout the the whole narrative arc and i think it's it's kind of nice to know that like it's it's fairly certain in most people's mind that this is something that is in mod's head and i like that the movie had kind of the courage of its convictions to just say hey like you know, we're going to bear it all. This is what happened. I think the ambiguity sometimes can just be a little obnoxious in my opinion sometimes. But I do agree that it's been used in some movies. But I think for a movie that I, I didn't enjoy that much, I think it actually was a, a saving grace a little bit for me. And that's just a great example of uh, how our opinions can differ. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think this would be a good opportunity now to uh, kind of tie it up, give our, our closing thoughts on the film. Um, would you guys agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So, I'm going to lead us in. Uh, I've been letting Keegan and Taylor talk first uh, for most of this time, so I'm going to give my rating first. Um, I think that I would give this movie uh, like 16 Burning Angels out of 20. Um, I thought it was great to watch. Like the style is absolutely there i don't think you can argue that it's not well shot well scored the acting solid um just it's it's thoroughly enjoyable to watch if you're just watching it for like the art 
of what's on the reel. I don't think the plot's necessarily there, but if you're not coming for the plot, I think that's honestly something that you can look past, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like a B horror movie where you're going just for pure schlocky fun. It's not necessarily fun, but it's, it's impressive. You watch it and you're like, Ooh, Ooh, I like looking at that. It's not fun, but it's, it's interesting. And I think for that reason, I give it, you know, something better than a, you know, a failing grade, but it's still not, it's not going to make it in my top 10 horror movies. Um, so enjoyed it, uh, would recommend it, but don't go in expecting a horror movie that's going to change your perspective on horror. The plot's not really there. It's, 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 it's largely an art piece. Mm-hmm. Keegan. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I'm, I'm pretty cold on the movie. Um, I think it's, a uh, it's perfectly fine. Uh, I think it's something that really can't have it hold a candle up to its its bigger brothers, uh, both in like the lofty horror film spectrum and also that are produced by A24. I think I always really hold Hereditary and Midsommar up to just a super unobtainable place that I always probably unfairly attribute or compare a lot of these movies to. Um, you know, overall, it's it's a short, easy to watch movie. It's it's not as pretentious as those movies. It's really straightforward. Um, I think we didn't touch on acting that much throughout, but you know, relatively unknown names. Maybe these are bigger Welsh actors, but to an American American audience, these are people that I had never seen before. So I always kind of enjoy seeing some new faces. Um, really expertly acted. I think uh, it's a movie that I just didn't personally really like, but I think if you're looking for an entry point that is maybe not as gory or won't keep you up at night into the kind of art house horror area, I think this isn't a bad choice. I think there certainly are some better choices, but um, I would say overall, if I were to give it a score, I would give it uh, two spilled shots out of five. (laughs) I... (laughs) I, I liked it. It wasn't my favorite movie of all time, but you know we didn't. I don't think we talked enough about some of the peripherals, like the colorscape, right? Everything has this kind of like green bottle under the sea kind of color to it. It seems to always be kind of nighttime, kind of misty. Um, whether it's inside Amanda's house or um, her mod's room or or even outside on the beach everything kind of just has even if it's daytime nighttime it's just all kind of smoky kind of uncomfortable sickly Um, I thought that was just really really well done Um, the other thing that stood out was the sound Um, I thought the score was really really good Um, it's kind of heavy it starts off kind of heavy and so you know, you're thinking, okay, we're we're doing some big some big music here, but um, I think it worked, and it it was really poignant. It, in Mod's most isolating moments, the music really helped to drive that home. Um, so all those things, I thought, were were really well done. Um, and yeah, just exactly what you guys said that this is a great great starter movie for somebody um, that wants to get into kind of art house horror. Um, I don't think I'd watch it again. I think I'd probably only recommend it to people that, you know, want to get started in art house horror and are afraid of jump scares and things like that. Um, and, uh, I think I, I, I think it could have been right now. It's definitely in my top five, uh, filmed self immolations I've ever seen, but it could have <laughs> made it into, you know, a higher tier. Um, if they just had kind of the courage of their convictions, if we explored some of these, more uncomfortable things a little bit better if we explored you know the whole title is making this uh not analogy but it's saying that 
she's a saint and i think it would have been cool if we had explored some other even apocryphal stories of saints that kind of mirrored some of the things she's gone through that if you take a true story and look at it from their angle it looks as crazy as what we just watched um so i thought there was it was a really really good scaffolding um i don't think there's anybody to fault just uh just not as plot heavy as, as i think you kind of needed for as um lonesome a movie it was and and as lonesome as the main character was it's kind of hard to have just one lonely character holding up the whole show all right so that's our take on it i think that this is kind of a mixed movie for everyone um i liked it the most but i'm a resident horror fan so i was always going to like it the most and even i you know I think there are some clear weaknesses in the movie that I'm not going to defend. As much as I enjoyed watching it, I probably will watch it again. You know, there's some weaknesses there that I'm not going to deny. Um, but even the the most lukewarm on the movie here, Keegan, I think that uh, sounds like you recommend it to kind of a, a you know a, a newer horror horror fan, someone that wasn't sure that they were going to be into like the whole art house horror thing, wanted to try it out without like you know totally ruining their their mood um so overall yeah. decent movie and also uh, this was i believe a directorial debut um and i think it's yep. a, it's a bit of a, a triumph in that fact because i think a lot of uh you know fledgling directors they can't get something that's this kind of f- not fun to watch but this watchable um so that's a solid solid point in the movie's favor so the reviews are middling here but still recommended yeah yeah definitely with that i think it's time to talk about next week which is going to be our first hank week it's going to be uh hank Hank showalter's first recommendation for rotating reels um so for hank week i've picked a movie that i know is a little bit divisive um and i'm really not sure what my co-hosts are going to think here it's a recent film um it's actually a remake of a really beloved classic which is why it's so divisive so i picked the 2018 remake of suspiria um the original Mm. is a 1977 movie by the italian master giallo dario argento um and i could have picked that one but everyone that's seen suspiria 2018 has an opinion on it saw suspiria uh, 1977 first and neither of my co-hosts have so i'm curious to see what their takes are on it seeing the 2018 remake first uh so our fan for our fans that uh don't know anything about this movie um it's another horror movie i'm our horror fan uh this one is about a german dance academy i don't want to go into too much of the detail but uh this this remake is uh really star-studded it's got tilda swinton in it it's starring dakota johnson who's pretty great and it's directed uh by this guy i'm gonna butcher his name but it's luca uh guadagnino guadagnino um but he's well known for directing and producing call me by your name uh which was this kind of like big famous gay movie that came out a few years ago um it, to be clear gay is in like it, it was big with the gay community not i'm not you know uh, anyway it's a great uh, movie but so i anyway, love that movie yeah it's, it's it is a great movie uh but it's this movie's completely different you know the call me by your name is not a horror movie this is a horror movie it's a remake <laughs> of a very well beloved horror movie and because of that it received kind of mixed re- uh mixed responses it's very different from the original um and i'm really excited to see what my co-hosts think of it so join us next week 
for the 2018 remake of Suspiria, and we'll discuss it. Um, so anyway, thanks everyone who listened this far, uh, and I'll see you in a week. Cool. Hank, do you want to, real quick, uh, we'll drop some places where to find the rest of our work. Hank, I'll drop the link to your SoundCloud for your band, Two Friends. You had made all of the music for the show as well as all of the intro bumpers. Next week, we get to hear the first time the Hank Week bumper comes in, which uh, is pretty awesome as well. Um, I'll drop a plug for myself. You can find my writing at filmtran.blogspot.com. And I also just made an email account for the podcast. So any comments, questions, concerns, reach out to us at rotatingreelspodcast at gmail.com. Hopefully we can get enough emails in where we can start doing some listener mailbag stuff. I think that'd be really fun content. Um, And then if you like what we're doing here, uh, drop us a a rating or a quick written review on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be anything long. Uh, Anything to get us bumped up in the algorithm would be super helpful. We're still getting a nice trickling in of of reviews here and there, which are super appreciated and definitely help out a lot. So uh, thank you to all the people that have been continually listening. Thank you for any people that are coming in that are on the newer side. I saw that we have some international people that have been listening through Spotify. So very grateful for everyone uh, that's been tuning in. Yeah, second everything Keegan just said. Very grateful for any listen we get, any rating, any review. Um, hope you guys keep enjoying the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. It really, it really means a lot. Now, see you guys next week. <laughs>